Yeah, everything else seems pretty standard. What's up with the new uh, beginning there, though? I see Joe's coming straight out of Compton. And... Yeah. <laughs> Tony's coming. Damon. 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 <laughs> Damon. Yeah, every time, we, every time we talk about Damon versus Demon, it always reminds me of Damon, which was like a song that they made up when they were drunk. Okay, now my cat has decided that I'm not a podcaster. He is. And just a reminder, they don't sponsor the show. <laughs> yeah, no, this is literally amazing. Wow. My allergies are going to suck today. Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Straight from Texas, I'm Joe. Hi, this is Tony, and I've escaped the football. I'm Mike, the people's champ. And I'm your friendly neighborhood, Leo. This is episode 365.5. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. We're recording on Sunday 11th, July 2021. In our intersection, we've been running Linux Mint 20.2. How about you? And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. The moment you've all been waiting for. We alluded to it in the first half of the show, but we all, right? All installed Linux Mint 20.2 in either bare metal or an upgrade. Ooh. We'll talk about that and check this out. <laughs> I want to check that out. So, so yeah, everybody, everybody upgraded or installed or something, one or the other. Uh, Tony, what was your experience like? Before it was released as a main release, I stuck uh, the 20.2 beta into boxes and just had a look at it that way. Didn't seem much different. So as soon as the release came out, I stuck it on my Dell E744, as I've already said, and that was fine. The one thing I was hoping, uh, as I've alluded to, is that the fact that they've upgraded the HP Lit uh, supposedly to give more support to HP printers was my printer was going to work. So last night, after the pre-show chat, I went and... uh, had a look, brought the laptop in here, plugged it into the uh, printer, uh, set the printer up. It, I managed to get it to recognize that the printer was there, uh, sent a file to it, the little light flashed, nothing happened. Mm. Not a sausage. Mm-mm-mm. So I'm still having a problem. And I've done it two or three different ways. I've done it through the uh, GUI print manager added new printer, it recognizes there's, uh, it, there's one there, done it that way, same same result. I've used the CUPS, gone into the uh, CUPS um, browser uh, management system, tried it there, same, same result. Uh, it says it's sending the document to the print, and it shows up in the, in the print documents, but nothing happens. Doesn't print so anything. So we, we kind of talked about it. Like I say, it's the first printer in 10 years of using Linux. I've not been able to get oh, working. Weird. So we talked about it uh, in the first half, but you tried this as well on Tumbleweed, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, right? And yeah. still nothing. Yeah. So 
uh, I mean, there's got to be there's got to be info on the internet about this particular printer. It, it, there's got to be a problem. It's a problem somewhere, but I don't know what it is because, like I say, it's sending data to the to the printer because the, the light starts mm-hmm. flashing. So I can't see what's going wrong. There's something going wrong. Uh, it's either corrupting the data on the way, or it's not recognizing the format that the data's hitting the printer. I oh, don't know. Weird. And I mean, it's not like you're dealing with PPD files or anything like that to get the driver to work. It's, nope. it's HP Lit no. that it handles all of it, right? Yeah. Mm. How weird is that? I mean, I've I've never had. Well, like I say, I can open up a word. Do- I can open up a writer document in LibreOffice. And it actually shows the printer. Mm-hmm. It shows both. Uh, if I've got, if I use it on my desktop machine, it shows me brother and the HP. Right. You set you you set it to send it to the HP, and nothing happens. You send it to the brother, prints perfectly. How? We, yeah, because I've got a brother printer here, and I've I've never had any issues with it. I mean, it it finds the the correct driver immediately. You just click next, next, next few times, and you can start printing to it. Um, but I've had I've had HP yeah. printers at work. I mean, there were three different ones, and uh, the old tried and true what is it LaserJet twenty one hundred, the one that you found everywhere for a while. Um, that one always worked with HP Lip, and then we had this big monstrous one that was uh, you know color laser, um, and it uh, I, I had to finagle it a little bit a couple of times. But I mean, ninety percent of the time I try to install that printer, it just worked. So. How weird, mm-hmm. though. HP is always top tier on Linux, but not with that printer. Hmm. So, uh, hence me having to use Windows 10. Right. Yeah, no shame in that, man. <laughs> I mean, you got to make your hardware work, and if Windows 10 is the one that's going to do it, well, then that's what you got to yeah. do. It's a great printer yeah. as well. Cracking yep. printer. So, apart from that, like I say, uh, all the other stuff uh, that they've changed doesn't really impact on me because uh, most of it is stuff that I've never used or doesn't really. Uh, come into my remit so right you're talking about those spice things and all that i've never touched the spice in my life yeah. <laughs> well i gotta have i gotta have a transparent uh bar man i put all, i put the bar up at the top and i gotta make it transparent why well, the way i have it now is it's like it's it's darker at the top and it kind of fades to fully transparent at the bottom so you know yeah. it's there um and i've but they're running in cinnamon anyway, aren't oh, they? Oh, you're you're that's right. You're a mate guy. I'm that's a mate. Right. So you don't even. I think you yeah. can do transparent on that, but yeah, a lot of the other spices don't work because cinnamon. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that's my experience. Yeah, anyway. I'm still on the mate page, but I mean, it's pretty much exactly the same in cinnamon. This is one thing I haven't seen yet, which I'm kind of excited to see. Is updates are available, 16 security, 21 software, uh, all that. And then you can enable automatic updates. I, I think I'm going to enable automatic updates for my spices. I don't know if I can do it just for spices, but if I can, that um, that will probably likely be uh, what I will enable automatically. Because I've got PPAs in Mint that uh, I, don't, I don't want it to update automatically. Like the Mesa, I mean, that's my video driver. So I want to do that only when I have plenty of time to go back and revert, remove the PPA, start over, start from scratch and try again. Um, I will never automatically update that one. Um, but like wine would be good to automatically update. I always want the newest wine. So that's that's one thing I'm looking forward to. Uh, I haven't haven't experienced just yet. Uh, oh, yeah, there it is. Ah, ah, fantastic. Look at this. Update cinnamon spices automatically. Check. My and flat- update flat packs automatically. Yes. So that was the thing that uh, that I really 
was kind of looking forward to because Flatpaks only got updated when you logged in. And if you never logged out this machine, uh, then you would never get updated Flatpaks, which is not great. So uh, this will fix a lot of that. Though I don't know if I want it to happen. I think I'm going to let it stay in the, in the uh, uh, software updater and just check them when I want them. Because uh, there are some. Let me see. Let me do a little quick little. Now, will, uh, will software updaters show the flat packs? Because before they didn't even show them in there. Will they, will they actually show them in yes. update manager? Oh, awesome. Yes. So, uh, like, uh, you know, PlexAmp and fl- uh, Flat Seal and Element, uh, those can all update automatically. Uh, Bitwarden as well. Actually, you know what? Maybe I will. I don't have anything that I just need to not be the, the highest. Everything is. Yeah, no, I think I will. I think I'll just leave it alone. Hmm. Hmm. I'll flip that on too. Cool. That is really cool. I, I just, I, I love now that there are automatic updates for, for specific things. I get that there are a lot, there's a lot of people that don't really enjoy automatic updates, but um, I mean, for this, absolutely. For Mesa, yeah, I'll, I'll handle that one. Thank you very much, Linux Mint. <laughs> I do appreciate it though. Did, did, uh, did anybody get any chance to, to mess with the bulk file renamer? Nah, I really don't yeah. have a use for that. Yeah, I know it's useful to some folks, but it ain't useful to me. So I, I you know, wish you luck uh, if uh, if you're going to be using it. Well, that would be useful if you're importing a load of photos with just the photo files, and you want yes. to uh, bulk rename them for say what what exactly. they were. Exactly. Uh, so where you, the day and and where you mm-hmm. took them. That would be very useful exactly. for that. Exactly, yeah. If, uh, if Pix doesn't do that for you or whatever photo manager you use doesn't do that for you, man, uh, Bulky will handle that. And I, I think the same thing about, um, you know, ripping old albums and things like that. It's easy to rename a lot of those files easily. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really kind of it. I mean, if you can do this stuff on the command line, then this is nothing new. But this is for folks that I think, um, yeah, want that capability without having to learn all the commands to make it happen. When you gotta introduce pipes into it, I think you've gone too far. It's no long it's no longer easy. <laughs> but uh sticky notes is something that I'm using all the time. I loved them on Windows 7. I hated the fact that it was only in that crappy cursive font. Uh and then you had to like go into the registry editor to actually change that. That was terrible. But this is not terrible because it's just like that. You get more than one color at a time. You could always change them back in Windows 7 to a different color, but they would all be that color. And so now you can have different colors. Um, my, my other favorite thing is the feature that they've got with um, the work and home. Like you can set up profiles. So like after five o'clock, you turn off those sticky notes because I don't want to see that crap because that's work. And then I turn on my don't forget to play seven hours of World of Warcraft today. note. right? Like that's, that's what you need to see. And that, that is really, really cool. Uh, I still use Warpinator. It still works. That's great. Uh, I, I haven't really... Um, seen much difference on that because i don't have the the feature that they've added was the the dual network card but you can choose which one uses warpinator um i only have one setup that has dual nics but i only ever use one at a time so uh that doesn't really affect me too terribly much but that was uh it's a good one and then as i mentioned before oh what was that oh oh there's a cat maybe it's the cat (laughs) but as i mentioned before uh cinnamon is using slightly less memory it's not noticeable really uh, but I thought that was uh, that was really pretty fantastic. The only so I was telling Mike before the show I had to come up with something that broke because everything is fine on my machine. But right after so only one machine did this. The other two machines did not do this. 
Um, so I upgraded to and I installed from scratch one. But the laptop, my T450S, when I upgraded it, um, everything went fine. There were no errors or anything like that. The, the issue happened when I opened up the menu the first time. So the little Linux Mint icon in the bottom left or top left, whatever, uh, you open that up and it's got all your applications in it. For some weird reason, it, it was very wide. I don't know why, but it, it, I mean, it stretched halfway across the screen, but I didn't have any applications that had names that long. So as I was kind of scrolling through, I noticed that LibreOffice has a really long description, and I blamed it on that. But as I kept looking, I realized that in my recent files, there were also super-duper long names. So it was one of those two things. And of course, I, I did it the most unscientific way I possibly could and just did both at the same time. I uninstalled LibreOffice, and I cleared my recent uh, file history, and I opened up the menu, and it was still there. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe maybe after a reboot or something. So I logged out and logged back in, and it was fixed. So I just needed to restart Cinnamon before those changes took effect. But at that point, I couldn't, I didn't know. I don't know if it was because I uninstalled LibreOffice or because I cleared my recent history um, that it fixed. But now my menu is normal-sized again, and that's nice. That's a really weird bug. It sounds like uh, it causes like the, the title to not truncate or something. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's quite literally it, because I'm looking at my menu now. And there are file names that are massive in recent files. And the description underneath is massive, but they both get truncated with that dot, dot, dot at the end so that you don't end up in a situation like that. So I don't know why Cinnamon decided that I needed to have a 12-foot long menu, but it did. And uh, apparently clearing those two things uh, or clearing recent files, if, if this happens to you is what I'm, what I'm trying to say, is if this happens to you, clear recent files, log out and log in. That will likely fix it. It probably had nothing to do with LibreOffice. I just never used LibreOffice, and I was like, well, I'll just get rid of it then, and then we'll see what happens. So, yeah, clear your recent files. It'll probably fix you. But, yeah, I had to dig deep. I had to dig real deep to find something that I didn't like or something that went wrong in the upgrade. But over three installations, uh, two of them coming from 20.1 and one of them installing from scratch, everything was fantastic. It was so fantastic. So, Joe, what was your experience like? Well, my my cat has decided that I can't be a podcaster anymore. I so, saw that. He was yeah. crawling all over your face. Yeah, and... he was pushing my mic out of the way. I saw, yeah. And, and, and See, well, now he's being all cute next to me, so. Yeah. See, more stuff that you miss if you're just podcast only, right? You got to go find right. us on YouTube and uh, watch this cat show his butt to you. And the joke <laughs> that I'm holding inside right now is literally killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, uh, you shouldn't hold it inside. You should let it out. We have to keep it a PG show, though. Uh, That's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? I think that was Dis uh, Disney Tony, level, right? man. We got. We, if we're gonna, we gotta Disney, stay a Discord community. Dis you know, Disney made Deadpool. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know what I mean. All right. Um, I was able to do the update on one of my machines. Just one of them out of the uh, the two major machines that I use, like almost every day. Using the update manager, and that worked really well, really simple. Shut it back, shut it down, turn it back on, everything worked. Um, I do like that you can control the amount of memory that Cinnamon can use, but other than that, it really seems like more of the same. No real major changes that seem to have an impact on my workflow. But uh, like I said during the wanderings, I have not had a lot of time to do an in depth review. Um, but from my reading, another good thing that I see is the control 
over the um, update notifications that you can get. That's always appreciated. I know that they were trying to push more to show you more of the notifications, and there was some pushback on that. So now you decide how often you see those notifications updates. Um, and the fact that the uh, update manager, and I know um, it was already mentioned, but now directly from the update manager, you you can see uh, flat packs for the software software mm-hmm. manager. You can so see useful, flat packs. Man. So yeah. useful. So you can do all of that directly from there, and it it seems like a very incremental update, but it's also a very good one. So on the flat pack thing, does anybody know of another distribution that puts flat packs? front and center like that because i think most distros are just like ah flat pack will handle itself and it well, usually kind of does but mint well, is the only one that i know of that will you know you install the application why don't you see it like all the applications and mint is the only one that i know of that has done well, that. Uh, i mean ubuntu, for Dora does, right ubuntu did the same thing with snaps wait oh yeah yeah i guess so oh that's right that's right so the the thing i don't like about gnome in general and this is why i think i put them in different categories in my mind for some reason is that they don't really give you an option to decide what you want to upgrade you like upgrade 90 percent of the system and then also the flat packs or you just upgrade 90 to 90 percent of the system there there's no way to say you know i don't want that i don't want this um and i think that's why i like mint i think that's why it's separate in my mind there's the ability to be uh picky and choosy about what you do at what time so more control over my system, I think, is what I'm getting at. The flat packs being uh, able to be updated automatically is good because they've had the flat packs in the software center for quite a while now. So you can go into the software center, and if you've got uh, the application there in the repos and in uh, Flathub, you can just install it. Uh, for, uh, you can choose which one you want to do. If you want the latest and greatest, if that's available as a flat pack, you can install that. So the fact that um, they now update automatically if you set that is fantastic because if you've installed it through that, you obviously want yeah. it and you want to that, That's it. one thing, though, that I will say. The Software Center could use some love as far as how uh, regular repo applications and Flatpak applications, when both exist, uh, how that's handled. I, I kind of like the way that GNOME, uh, GNOME software does it. In that you click on the app, but both of them are in there, and you have a drop-down box to choose which one it is. Uh, I think that's a pretty good way to handle the the issue. But uh, Linux Mint, as far as I can tell, just it's just shows them on separate lines with Flatpak and Prince. So mm, it's it's not bad. It's easier to see. It's easier to find because I think that drop-down is hard to find in GNOME. If you know it's there, then it's fine. But otherwise, it can uh, you can totally miss stuff. Cool. Okay, now my cat has You're decided that I'm not a podcaster. He is. Oh yeah, okay. Well, that's what the <laughs> bell was. If you was, if you were wondering what the little jingly jingly was a little while ago, that's the cat. <laughs> they got to know where it is, so they put a bell on, and it's always right here. So you don't need the bell. <laughs> so, Mike, how did you fare? Uh, pretty short and sweet. Um, I only upgraded one of my machines to 22. Uh, not my work machine, just kind of my mess around machine. Um, I know I joke a lot about how I how I use Arch, but Mint is actually my daily driver. It's it's what I use the most. It's my work machine. So I typically wait about a full month or so before I upgrade my my work machine just because I really need that to be rock solid. Um, on the machine that I did upgrade, though, no problems at all. Um, I'd go so far as really to kind of call it a boring update. And I mean that in a good way. Um, boring is the main reason why I use Mint because boring to me means very stable. 
Um, I love the sticky notes. When I when I ultimately do upgrade my work machine, I'm going to use the heck out of that. Um, and then the uh, the spices update, I really love too because I always I I think I only have two spices, but I always forget to go in and check to see if they need an update or not. But yeah, that's really about it. Everything else you guys have covered, I I feel pretty much the same. I'm happy to see flat pack updates in there. Um, I don't really use Warpinator at all, so that's nothing to me. But and the uh, the batch uh, file renamer, like I said, I probably won't have a use for that. But aside from that, I didn't have any issues that went wrong with mine. So another successful upgrade with Mint. Can't beat that. The the Warpinator thing, I think, uh, will be really important to me if slash when an iOS version comes out. Because uh, the Android one exists. And so you can apparently push files back and forth with an Android device. That is fantastic. Uh, something that I think a lot of the uh, you know Linux-based sharing apps don't do. Uh, but yeah, when the iOS one comes out, oh, I'll be so happy. That'll be so nice. So I actually use, uh, unfortunately, I, I have a lifetime subscription to pCloud. Not unfortunately, but I obtained a lifetime subscription to pCloud before Warpinator existed. So I've always used pCloud to kind of just push files to all my machines. So, ah, so unfortunately, is, that, is that Linux as well? Uh, it's It works on Linux, yeah. It's, uh, I don't, they're not fully open source, but uh, they do have, they have crypto uh, storage and whatnot. This it's is similar to like a Google Drive thing but way more secure. Nifty. I like it. So, hey, you get 10 gigs of free storage if you sign up today. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And just a reminder, they don't sponsor the show. <laughs> but they can if they want. Ah, yeah, I wouldn't I would I would not say no. I sponsor them so they should sponsor us. Yes, hey, see, yes you, that's it. you probably would say no because mm-hmm. we have no idea how to set it up or how to split it up. Well, or anything uh, like that. Because I've been thinking about uh, you know, keeping it out of the cloud or whatever. I was thinking about using SyncThing to move files between us if we ever wanted to get rid of uh google drive for at least the storage part the multiplayer document i think is is fantastic though i don't know if we'd ever be able to drop that but um yeah the file sharing thing would be way cooler uh with sync thing because that would mean that everybody had a copy of the file and then if anybody you know blows up their copies of the file they can just pull well, you it back could do the same again. thing with resilio sync sure sure I'm yeah i mean do anything besides google Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So one of, one of these days we'll move away, yeah. but that day still ain't the day. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for our thoughts on Linux Mint 20.2. If you have thoughts or issues or anything like that, please write us at the show, mintcast at mintcast.org, uh, or just hop into the Telegram, Discord, whatever, and have a chat with us about it. Um, it's It's been, seems like to me, it's been pretty stable for everybody, but uh, if you are in the batch that did not get stability as you upgraded, let us know. All right. With that, we'll head down to the feedback. Tony, I think this one from Brad is for you. Okay. All right. I'll this. <laughs> uh, so, Brad Alexander. Uh, actually, it's funny. I'm behind on my podcast, a side effect of not having to spend four to five hours a day in the car. So I just listened to 36.5 and 3.63. And as Tony said, he was doing a rewatch of Babylon 5, the best sci-fi series possibly of all time. At least I believe it is the best I've encountered. I've not yet delved into the expanse, but it beats the other two serial sci-fi series that I have watched, Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica. If nothing else, B5 has the best series finale in TV history. Honestly, 
Every time I watch it. You're not it, setting the bar too high there on. with DS9 and Battlestar Galactica. Hey, DS9 is my favorite of all time. Oh, well, it depends on where you start watching DS9 from. If you start in the middle of DS9 and watch towards the end, it's garbage. Hot, flaming garbage. Come on, this is Brad's, this is Brad's email, not yours. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. <laughs> so, as he said, B5 is the best uh, series finale in TV history. Every time I watch it, the last 40 minutes, I'm sitting there with tears streaming down my face. So my birthday was two weeks ago, and I decided as a happy birthday to me present, I decided to do a rewatch myself. I'm about three quarters of the way through season two using the JMS uh, watch order. Yeah, that's about where I'm at at the moment. I'm just about to uh, rewatch uh, and now for a word, which is the uh, um, interstellar uh, news uh, one that they did. Yeah, that's good. And you're right. Uh, you're right. The audio guide, audio guide to Babylon Five is a great per episode podcast. You should have also, if you have time, check out the older Babylon podcast, and he gives a link for that in the show. The casts include Jeffrey, Jeffrey Willerth, who was the actor in Koshy's Encounter Suit. It ran seven years as an interview and has interviews and the like. Also worth listening to. And he signs that Jack. Sorry. No, Jack's the next one. <laughs> Jack is the next one. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Jack, I need you to stop giving me amazing software. Okay. Because uh, I just, I installed Micro during the show. Because uh, I was like, oh, it's just like Nano then. I mean, what, what's, what's the big deal? Um, okay, it turns out. Uh, Nano is kind of insane sometimes with uh, the, the key bindings that you use. So I'm, I'm very... I'm very control X to cut, control C to copy, and control V to paste, right? Not in nano. There, I, don't, I don't shift. even... Yeah, well, it's, yeah it's, control shift C, control shift V. It's the exact same commands that you use in terminal. Joe, we just <laughs> talked about this, about alt Z and mute. I want one key, Joe. I want the minimum amount of well, keys to get a job keys done. keys a second ago. No, I know. What I'm saying is if, if, if it can be done with one key, I want it. If it can't, two, but switch, definitely switch not three. Emacs. Try that. No, I won't See how switch many keys to you have to use there. You want to know how many keys I have to use in micro? The exact right amount of keys. That's, that's what uh, you do. And you know which no, ones no, they no. are. It's, it does sound interesting because... Um, now, now, children. No, because <laughs> Nano is, is very, very minimalistic. It doesn't have the colors and yep. all that stuff that I've seen. Oh, it does. It does. So, it does have color coding. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. The nice thing about it is that it uses the same commands as a terminal. Right. True. Totally. And every time I get into Nano, I just have this this in my mind that it's going to behave like Notepad. And this is because I grew up with a Windows machine, and anytime I see a background with text on it. That's what I expect, and I, I can't shake it for some reason. In, in VI or Vim, I feel like I'm in a totally different place because it accepts commands and all kinds of weird stuff. So I don't, I don't feel like I have that same issue with uh, the heavier lifting uh, text editors. But with Nano, I just expect it to be super simple, and, that, and my mind is like, oh, yeah, Control-X right here. Nope, it's not what that happened. That's, that's not what it did. So... That, I think, is, um, is really where this shines. So anyway, the whole point of this is I was supposed to read this email. So here we go. So uh, Jack writes in and says, Micro is a nice editor that is much nicer than Nano. I did not believe him. 
It's just a single file to download, or you can build it. it has colors, syntax, highlighting, undo, sensible keys such as Control S, Control Q, Control V, and Control Z, which do exactly what you expect them to do. Split views, multiple tabs, good mouse support, what's not to like. And the last thing. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, he has uh -huh. those capitalized. What? Ooh. He has those capitalized. So I bet you got to hit shift. You don't. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm literally doing it right now. You do not have to do it. <laughs> so here's the deal. Here's the deal. The little, the keys didn't sell me. The, 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 the syntax highlighting didn't sell me because Nano can do those things. Uh, the syntax highlighting, it can do undo and you know, all of that stuff is just, I got to, I got to look down at the bottom and remember what key combo it is to make that work. And then they, in, they, they integrate in alt in there as well. And it's not very clear unless you know what you're looking at, what those things actually mean. Anyway, the point is micro's got that on lock, but it's not a killer feature for me. Um, split views. Now, now we're talking multiple tabs. Okay. Good mouse support. That's the one. It got me. I don't need, I don't need split views. I can, I, you know, if I need something that heavy lifting, I'll launch VS code or something like that. If I need multiple tabs, VS code as well. So that, that didn't get me. mouse support. You can click on things. You can place your mouse cursor yeah. exactly where you okay, want it that, to that, be. That is nice. That is nice. Yes. Oh, I love that. So that thing sold me. I installed Micro. I tested it out. It actually works. I'm I'm sold. I I think I can't live without Micro anymore. The just, because for the same reason, right? Uh, for the same reason, I can't get my head wrapped around the weird uh, key combinations that you would use in Nano. I can't wrap my head around not being able to click on stuff because I, I see it as notepad and micro fixes that for me. All the things that I complained about with nano are fixed most, in micro. Most of the reason that I stick with nano is because any Linux system that I sit down to is 99 times out of a hundred going to have nano installed. Now granted, most of those systems are probably also going to have Vim or Emacs installed, but Correct. I know which one I'm going to choose out of those three. Like, look, let me just arrow down to the one letter I need to change. Okay. I need to get Great. rid of a hash mark. I don't need VI to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's sold me, Jack, you've sold me. Um, I hate that you've sold me, but you have sold me and now I have to install micro on everything. Well, now that you've said that about my, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to have to give it a try on my own machine. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too used to it because I do use machines that aren't mine all the time. Right. And to that point. Don't neglect learning VI or Vim or Nano. One of the two. Just just get used to them because that's what you're going to be dealing with. I, I, I've used Vim. I, I've used Emacs. I have never been happy doing it. Oh yeah, of course, of course. But know your way around. That way you can get the job done on a on an unfamiliar machine. On your own machine, like for me, I'll install Fish a lot of times. Ain't nobody in the real world actually use Fish to to, to, to <laughs> like to manage actual machines. I mean, you can you can script it. You do all that stuff, but you know, fish is a personal choice and I like it. And now micro will be another personal choice that I prefer, but I'll know that, if, you know, if I go to work on a machine it ain't, it's not going to have micro and I don't want to mess with other people's machines and install it. So nano it is, but for me, micro. I just want to point out that Tony has literally fallen asleep. He's painting. <laughs> I feel like he's painting. He's back. I'm hunt. I was hunting for that podcast. On the podcast. Oh, <laughs> that's what it is. All right. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Hank, um, I touched the nerve with Hank uh, because I talked trash about Raid. 
Um, <laughs> because I, I, I want to say, I don't have it up right now, but I want to say that the, um, the subject of the email was why all the raid hate or something like that. I don't hate raid. I just think it's too complex and it doesn't really serve the purpose you want it to serve better than doing something in LVM or using ButterFS at a software level instead of anyway, that's uh, whatever. Let's talk about it and I'll, we'll go, we'll talk about some of these points, but I want to go through most of this email because he does make good points. I mean, Raid is good for what it is, but anyway, here we go. I'm guessing that Leo has some history with Raid setups that causes him to rule them out for home users. Yeah. Dealing with 40 disks in Raid 5 or Raid 6 or Raid 10, it's, it's annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so he says, uh, I'm mildly curious about that. that. That's what that was. My experience with various RAID configurations has been entirely positive. My first foray into this was 5 by 200 gigabyte Seagate Barracudas in RAID 5 configuration using MD RAID. So this is the one that's built into the Linux kernel, by the way. Um, that was in late 2004 on my home server. I suppose that my setup goes far past typical home user, but it's far short of an enterprise setup. It's got an asterisk, so there's, a, there's extra down somewhere. In a few years, I can claim to have decades of experience with Linux RAID. In mid-2010, uh, I purchased two 2-terabyte drives and set them up as a mirrored pair and used them as an off-site backup. Again, this was using MD RAID. I used rsync to copy files to, uh, from my personal PCs to my server and again from my local server to my remote server, all automated, of course. Four years ago, I bought a Dell XPS 13, which came with Windows 10. I installed Debian on it, dual boot, once I was comfortable that everything was working properly. For some definition of properly, Win 10. I installed on uh, ZFS root because I needed to use the then current buster testing for Wi-Fi drivers. I had fooled around with ZFS on some throwaway installs and was confident enough to try it on a daily driver, which was fully backed up, of course. My local server now hosts five by four terabyte drives. Ooh, that's a lot. In RAID Z2, and the remote runs two mirrored eight terabyte drives, both using ZFS. My desktop now has five 500 gigabyte Samsung SSDs in RAID Z1. I ran this for a couple of years with four SSDs in a striped set. Then one SSD began to fail, and the drudgery of restoring everything from backups led me to add an SSD, switch to RAID Z1, and sacrifice some performance for redundancy. Now, I just want to, uh, this is not reading, I want to point out that paragraph that he wrote, that's why. I don't want to have to manage it. <laughs> I, I was very manage it all. My DigitalOcean droplet, built from scratch, I appreciated that. And then I just wanted it to work and not have to worry about it and deal with it. And so that paragraph right there is, is pretty much the crux of the issue. But he's got a little bit more, and I'll read uh, some of that. Anyway, so he said, uh, I had hard drives fail on my servers or otherwise require replacement when I need more space in a mirrored pair. I remove one drive, uh, install the new larger drive, copy all the data to the, mir uh, the new mirror, Replace the other drive from the old RAID with the new larger one. Add it to the mirror and watch while the RAID drive drivers copy all data to it. I've done this with both ZFS and MD RAID with no difficulties. I've also replaced failed HDDs, uh, hard disks in RAID 5 and RAID 6 configurations with both MD RAID and ZFS without powering down the whole system. So, right. That's it. I think that that's it. Do, I think a lot of times uh, when people want redundancy, it's not redundancy they want. They just want a backup. They want to be able to let something blow up but still be safe with their files. And I think the vast majority of people are not going to go to that, that great of a length to handle it. Um, and I think that's, that's really my only beef with RAID is that it's so complex. And in a situation where you're running bigger disks, right? Like I've got three, four terabyte disks that um, I could 
I could put that in raid. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Any of them. I'd lose a little bit of disk space in the in the process, but I would gain redundancy, and then I would still also have to maintain a backup. It's expensive. Back when I was, uh, you know, greener, when I learned what RAID stood for, I know it's independent. I know you can at me if you want. It's independent disks, I know. But when I learned it, it was inexpensive. Redundant array of inexpensive disks. They weren't ever really inexpensive. but Think about that. A four, a, 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 a high quality four terabyte. Let's let's look it up right now because this is. Yeah, I guess this is, back in the day when RAID first started, it was a way of taking a whole bunch of old smaller drives and turning them into something more usable, right. a little bit faster and a little bit more altogether as right. one disk. Right. So here's the thing. Like, you can get a 4 terabyte Western Digital Red Pro, because I'm not trying to buy this low-cash version 5900 RPM trash that is Western Digital Red on the smaller sizes. I'm not wasting my money on that. I want the good ones. Um, HGST used to be one of my favorite manufacturers until they got absorbed into Western Digital. I mean, that's, that's the deal, right? Like, I want good quality, fast drives. I do not want JBOD. I don't want to scour around and find a bunch of different size disks and make them work in RAID Z, whatever. I don't want well, any of that. So go ahead. You're also, you know, not running a giant server. So there's no point in, in you making up all your speed losses by right. getting 50 red drives. Well, right. No, no, exactly. Right. So, I mean, if I wanted that, I would RAID 10. I, you know, I would try to squeeze out as much uh, performance out of those drives as I possibly could. So my real beef is that, it ain't cheap. If I did uh, RAID Z1 or RAID Z, uh, can you do two? I think you can do two with three disks, but whatever. You lose about a third of your space and you sacrifice the ability to, um, in, in some instances, change the way that your, that your array is set up. But let's say one of your disks dies. Now you have to spend $140 to make it go. So that is is really the issue. Uh, every everybody loves suicide raid. Don't don't let people lie to you about how horrible it is. You get 15 discs all together, all 500 gig each and, and, raid and zero you just them. stripe them all. Right. And then one dies and you lose all your data. Yeah. So I, I wanted to go to 6 or 8 terabytes um and that gets really expensive. So that's the thing, right? I don't have $200 laying around if a disc dies. So it's going to be degraded for months and that's going to put strain on the other discs. And that means that those discs are now more likely to fail. So I don't want to put myself in that position. I don't hate RAID. RAID is fantastic. It does its job very well. Caveat, it is not a backup for those that might think that it is. And that's, that's really it. I don't, I don't hate it. It's great. It's got its place, but it doesn't, it doesn't have its place in my home because I don't have yeah. enough money to replace the discs that fail. Well, so, not just that, but you have to have that startup costs of all those disks to begin with. Right. Yeah, exactly. So with, with my current JBOD setup, I buy high-quality disks. I buy a, um, a USB version, uh, same size, plug that in, copy it over, and I, I have a backup, and it's good. So, I'm anyway, sorry, to, Leo. I didn't mean to keep pulling your string. Oh, no, no, no. That's fine because, I mean, that, that's, that's it. It allowed me to actually fully tell you well, anybody all the yeah details exactly of that it's just too expensive to to handle it um anyway 
So uh, his last little bit is, incidentally, a note to your other contributor who is running ZFS on USB-connected drives. I had heard that the USB protocol allows the storage to signal uh, to the OS that a write is complete when it is not. This causes ZFS to leave the file system in an unrecoverable state should operations be interrupted. At this moment, I'm typing this on my desktop, which has had a new PSU as of yesterday afternoon. Before I replaced the PSU, it shut down abruptly three times, as suddenly as if the power cord was pulled from the wall. It came up after each interruption with no difficulty. I am cautiously optimistic that my diagnosis of a failing PSU was correct. Hmm. You must be talking about Josh, I guess, right? I would assume so, because he's opened ZFS all up and down now. He was our ButterFS guy. Uh, and then uh, I think, I don't know what happened, but now he's on ZFS. I know, ZFS. he spent a month getting me all like jacked up for ButterFS oh, and then he bounces on it. Oh, I'm still jacked up on on ButterFS. This is going to make, um, is it Brad that, that always writes in about ZFS? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think ButterFS is better. <laughs> Any, anyway, <laughs> there's uh, there's one last email. I've got, uh, I've got diagnosis on this um, that's way easier than what he's got, but... Joe, could you take a look at this one? You're always quick to troubleshoot and give some advice on this one. You want to take this one? Uh, From Nick? Yes. Okay. Hi, team. Can you help, please? All aspects of audio playback, I get stuttering. I found a possible solution, but I do not know if it is safe to do. And then there's a forum link, which I have not looked at. Um, The core steps posted by Igor ZWX did it, and now all my audio quit stuttering. I reset my sound preferences to the audio setting and revert my alsabase.conf file to its original form. I didn't have to install the other stuff, Opera, Real Player, Skype, etc., since I didn't need them. So to summarize, sudo apt-get update, sudo apt-get upgrade, sudo reboot, sudo kill all pulse audio, sudo apt-get purge pulse audio, Sort of apt get install tac y esound esound tac clients esound tac common lib libsd tac also zero sudo reboot sudo apt get remove pomen podavi chooser pavu meter and pavu control. Yeah, those are all the pulse audio softwares that uh, I guess would have gotten rid of once you got rid of pulse audio. Maybe an auto clean or an auto remove would do that, but. Possibly. So essentially, it looks like he's replacing the Pulse Audio backend for audio with eSound. And that uh, fixed a lot of his problems. So, well, well, he doesn't know. Um, he doesn't know if it's safe to do. He's not done it yet. Okay, okay. Well, I don't see why it would be unsafe to do if it's already in the repos. If you're not adding someone else's repo and this is in the repos, then yeah, I see absolutely no problem with it. Oh, wait, no, I take that back. He did do it. The course steps posted by Igor did it. Yeah, and now all my audio quit stuttering. Okay, I read. Uh, I, okay, I didn't know there was a time lapse within the the email, but okay. So it fixed his audio. It stopped stuttering. Um, but I guess the question remains: Is it safe to do? I mean, it's all stuff from the repo, so yeah, yeah it would be yeah. safe, right? Absolutely. And it's just would pulse, pulse audio anyway. You just put it back in if you need it again. Right. right. And then on top of that, uh, you should be able to. Well, the the thing that I think you might run into is applications that expect pulse audio to be there. It's not there. So if, if you're not running into those kinds of applications that need Pulse Audio, then I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be a, a yeah. safe fix. But, well, no, it's still a safe fix. Right. If it does break some other audio issues because it's missing Pulse Audio, that, that's something else entirely. But um, 
I, I if this is what fixes your stuttering, then by all means go for it. And yeah. I, I haven't ever heard of this other replacement for pulse audio. What was it called? Uh, e sound. I don't. E I don't know what e sound actually is. Is it? Is yeah. it not just Ulsa or something? It, no, it can't be Ulsa because he was talking about. Um, it, it has to be something on top of Ulsa. The way pulse audio is on top of Ulsa. Yeah, I guess so. So, hmm. a matter of fact, all the things that are looking for pulse audio aren't really looking for pulse audio. They're looking for Ulsa. So he should just be fine. Yeah. 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 Looks like eSound is used on Android as well. They have an APK for that. Oh, so maybe that's what it is. Mm. So I see absolutely no problem with switching to eSound, especially if it's fixed your stuttering issue. Mm-hmm. Although I would want to know a little bit more, like, was the stuttering issue caused by RAM usage or was your um, processing extremely high because you're running on an older system? I mean... Yeah, was I, it the I don't real real tech drivers. Yeah, so my thought was going to be that it was drivers, that it was something to do with the driver that was in the particular kernel that you're on, and by default that's five four. So my recommendation was going to be just go to the update manager and update your kernel to five dot eleven. And see if that solves anything for you. That, I mean, that can be helpful, but if you're working with like older hardware or like tablet obscure hardware, especially with the real tech drivers, the older real tech drivers, and that also conf, you have to go out there and dig through oh, forum yeah. after forum after forum to find a config that actually fixes your issues. Look, uh, so uh, you know, I, I, I usually balk at the arch, by the way, stuff, but in this case, <laughs> arch, by the way, arch wiki, by the way. I mean, that, that gives you a lot of that stuff that's, that, that you would just need to drag and drop, you know, copy and paste, whatever. So, I mean, in this case, Arch does win. <laughs> it, they yeah. do have the answer, well, most likely. If eSound is a better alternative, I'll actually try that on a couple of my tablets and, and see if that makes an improvement with, like, splitting up the um, HDMI sound with the 3.5 millimeter jack sound mm-hmm. and, and fixes those issues. Right. Well, it sounds like it's working. Um, it's it's certainly safe because it's all repo stuff. So th- to answer that question, yeah, you're going to be fine. If sound is good, you're good. I think uh, everything is pretty good on this one. Good. All right. Well, uh, that's it for our feedback. Wait a minute. Wrong window. That's it for our feedback. So uh, let's take a look at uh, some new cool software stuff that I've found. All right. I got one. Well, there's two. Uh, one of them is from me. It's Croc. So we were talking about Warpinator before. Warpinator works on a single LAN. It doesn't do any kind of weird NAT traversal firewall, this or that, kind of figuring out. So you, me, I could not share a file with Tony right now without doing some fantastic internet VPN magic. VPN magic. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, things like uh, Hamachi, right? They used to have that like thing where it would... Uh, kind of put you on your own little land so you can play video games together and stuff like that. Um, you would need something like that until you decide to just use Croc. So Croc fixes this issue. Uh, it does NAT traversal for you by moving your file through a, uh, what do they call it? Um, a, a relay. So basically what ends up happening is there is a server out on the internet that will bridge you and your destination together so that you can send files back and forth 
without having to worry about, oh, you know, how is my NAT set up? Oh, do I have uh, my firewall set up correctly to, to accept? No, no, none of that. Croc will take care of it for you. So um, you got to be a little extra nerdy for it. Croc is only command line, uh, only command line. But if, you, if you've ever used TeamViewer, it works like that, where you don't have to worry about whether or not the per- all they've got to do is just be on the internet. And then TeamViewer handles the rest. You get an ID, which is what happens in Croc. You get a, um, uh, an, an ID number. It's, uh, it's pretty egregious. But you're copying and pasting it anyway. Mm-hmm. How, how is this uh, Croc any different or better than something like Onion Share, for example? Uh, it's not. It's just something that you can use. Uh, it looks like the, all the screenshots are done in Sigwin. But, I mean, nothing really except it doesn't use the Tor network. Okay. I mean, it's a simple it file transfer. <laughs> yeah, true. But I mean, it's a simple file transfer utility that you can use without having to worry about what network you're on. It's all encrypted. It's uh, it uses unique keys so that you know you don't accidentally transfer your files to the wrong person, anything like that. So it's just good stuff, I think, uh, because uh, I, I need I need ways to get files to people. And uh, if if you are a person that does not want to use Google Drive or some other kind of file sharing utility that's you know widespread out on the on the internet, then I gotta have something. Warpinator is cool if you if you're near me, uh, but Croc I think if you can get a hold of it is um, is another good alternative to try out. So listener Jack, so we had a, the email from Jack and he sent us another email, but it didn't really fit in the feedback because. Um, uh, it's not, yeah, anyway, well, the point is windy.com. If you want to lose a little bit of time seeing what weather looks like in, uh, in your area, this wow. is the website to do it. Look at this. Have you checked it out? This is so cool. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. And so he, he sent that in and I was like, oh, it's weather. Like how, how could good could it actually be? It's good. It's yeah, no, this really, is literally amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can, uh, Zoom in on uh, Dallas here. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jack. This is cool. I know. Look at this, man. And it, it, it gives you wind speed, everything. Look at this. You can check out what the wind is reported at all these different places. You can see the ah. temperature. Like, you, it drills down. See what's there's going on. Uh, there's a 3D button up there, too. See what happens if you click that. Uh, uh, the top right. Yeah. What? It gives Ooh. you, like, the whole globe. Okay, hang on. My, my computer is going to just get intense. It's got some 3D rendering it's got to do. Uh, that's wow. as far down as you can get. But yeah, take a look at this, man. Hmm. This is fantastic. So, oh, and then you can sure. add all those other layers over there. And Oh, look oh. at that particulate matter. Well, Joe, uh, you got, a, you got 11, suck today. You got a 11 micrograms per meters cubed over here, man. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but the color's different, so surely that can't be great. <laughs> 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 oh, man. It looks it, it looks really good, Jack. Thanks for sending that in. That's fantastic. I'll probably go lose half an hour here in a little bit to that. Uh, but that's it. Um, our it's, it's time for announcements, I guess. Right? I mean, I, we can we can finally close up the show. Our next Mintcast episode will be two p.m. U.S. Central Time on July twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes for you to get the showtime converted to your time zone. 
And our Saturday stream is going to be on the 17th. So our next Saturday stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on July 17th. Is that right? Is that right? I think that's right. That's pretty right. And if it's just me again, it will be more soldering. It. I don't. I. So it was all July Fourth stuff that had everybody uh, kind of preoccupied or whatever. I imagine I'll be there for this next one. So um, I'll I'll be there to annoy you. But um, Joe, where can folks find you outside of the show? Well, you can catch me on a couple of my other shows. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, um, tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which you can find at linuxlugcast.com. You might be able to find me on MeWe. Or you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. Yeah, I think um, I've stopped posting over there the show. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, we, didn't get any, we, we didn't get any traction on it. Uh, I haven't had, been watching it much. The only t- reason I bring it up is because we use it pretty heavily on Linux Lugcast. Mm, I got you. Okay. Um, anyway, so Bo, he's not here today, but you can get him at the undercastnetwork.com or the, on YouTube, the undercast collective will have links in the show notes. Uh, Tony, what about you? You can get me on uh, hacker public radio. I'm host ID three, three, eight. If you want to go and listen to some of the old shows on there, uh, I'm on Twitter at Tony H one, two, one, two. Uh, I'm on TH at minkcast.org and distrohoppers digest at gmail.com. And Josh isn't here either, but you can get him at Josh on tech at minkcast.org at Josh on tech on Twitter and most of the social media sites. And of course, crowbar kernel panic. Um, you'll see the live episodes of CKP debut on the Mintcast YouTube channel. So go take a look at that. You can see if they're scheduled up and ready to go. And then the rest of uh, all the edited stuff goes on the Crowbar Kernel Panic channel itself. You can get all links to that on our, uh, on our Mintcast YouTube. Anyway, Mike, what about you? Oh, you can email me at mike at mintcast.org. You can catch me on Discord at GrouchyM, or you can catch me outside my house with a butterfly knife. <laughs> oh, no. And me, you can get me at uh, leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter. Uh, and you can also find me the Linux user space dot show, uh, debuted again last Monday. So that is out and about again and, uh, Leo at leochavez.org. So I, I spun up that email. They gave that to me for free. So yeah, if you want to just email me there, you can do that too. But before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing, Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, InitRD for the animated discord logo and Londoner for our time sync every episode. ByteMark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room, maybe. And Mike for being awesome. Yes, that was sweet. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Just totally off the cuff. That that wasn't even written there at all. I threw a hypocrite commit into the show, University of Minnesota style. There it is. And of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at 
podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the